Welcome back. And on today's Locked on Dimebacks podcast, are you wondering what new CBA changes or rules are coming to baseball in 2022 and beyond? That's what we're talking about on today's pod, breaking it all down post-lockout. So it's a it's a jam-packed pod. It's a fun pod as always. So let's jump right into it. <laughs> Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks still here. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work. From my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. Or look up Lockdown Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. And also, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, as you cover this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before, Bet Online, where the game starts. But now, now that we got the whole intro and formalities out the way, I want to just talk about the new CBA changes and rules that are coming to baseball in 2022 and beyond because. If you are not following closely, there's a bunch of new rules that's going to affect the sport of baseball because, of course, there should be. We've been in a lockout for three months, 99 days. I believe it's the second longest labor labor work stoppage in MLB history. So there's a whole bunch of new things coming to baseball this season and beyond. So I figured why not do a little primer and talk about it. The rest of the uh, the rest of the week, I don't even know what word I'm trying to say there. The rest of the week, though, I want to talk about free agency. I'm probably going to do that on Wednesday. Today was supposed to be Mondays with Millard, but Sully Baseball has a whole bunch of things going on at his house. He said it's too noisy. We can't do a pot today, so we might do Mondays with Millard on Wednesday. And because I, I there's a whole bunch of free agency stuff I want to talk about. Uh, Zach Buchanan did a whole thread on Twitter talking about. Um, priorities for the D-backs and free agency uh, coming from Mike Hazen and that front office. So he laid it all out on Twitter. So we'll talk about that thread he posted probably on Wednesday. And there's a whole bunch of big free agents still out there. So probably do a prediction pod this week as well. I mean, Freddie Freeman's still free agent. We might know where he signs by Wednesday. Guys like Chris Bryant, Trevor Story are free agents as well. So I want to do a big free agency pod later in the week, talk about the D-backs and the rest of the baseball world in general. So that'll probably come Wednesday and Friday, Mondays, or excuse me, Wednesdays with Millard will probably be on Wednesday because it's usually Mondays with Millard, as I said, but we'll probably do Wednesdays with Miller this week with Sully Baseball. But let's talk about those new changes coming to baseball. That was probably too too winded of a of an intro for this podcast segment. But let's talk about the new rule changes coming to baseball in 2022. Because the first one I think we can start off with is under the new CBA, minimum salaries will begin at 700000 2022. This is an unprecedented jump, 23% increase from last season. It will rise up to 780000 for the final year in 2026. So 
those baseball players, those minimum salaries, they, you know, get a little hike. I, you know, I don't really have too many strong thoughts on minimum salaries and some of these CBA changes. I just wanted to mention and throw it out there. So one of the things that the players are fighting for was more money before they hit free agency. Now the minimum salaries have increased for these players. So I'm, I definitely think they're happy and think that's a win for their cause out of this lockout. The second one I think is more interesting to have run down here. The competitive balance threshold, which taxes big spending teams that surpass pre-established limits. That will be set at $230 million in 2022, a near 10% increase from last season, and will reach $244 million by 2026. So that is basically the luxury tax. If you hit that mark that I just said, you will be start. You, you will start to get hit with big tax penalties. So the luxury tax is something that is kind of, you know, a fake salary cap, a quasi salary cap. And I'm glad that they raised the salary cap. Hopefully it means teams will spend more money in free agency, but I'm not too sure if that will actually happen. I kind of feel like you need a salary floor as well if you're going to institute the luxury tax. I don't think you want to go near the salary cap. I don't think you want to broach those discussions if you're a player. But a salary floor I do think is needed. You want to make sure teams are spending money. You want to put the pressure on teams to spend money. I don't think just raising the luxury tax will do it. But even if you... Because the reason I don't think raising the luxury tax is enough, I still think teams will not spend money. It's not like they have to if you don't have a salary floor. It's not like they have to spend money just because you're saying, here's more money we're allowing you to spend. It's like a credit card. Here's more credit. That doesn't mean I'm going to spend more money and use my credit card more just because you're giving me more credit. So it's the same with these MLB teams and owners and front offices. And also, I also believe that maybe they will start to create an illusion like they're spending more money when in reality, maybe they just go after more mid-tier players and just overpay those guys, but on short-term contracts. So why not, you know, a reliever who's originally supposed to make $5 million, maybe give him $8 million a year for a one- or two-year deal. And then if you're still trying to tank, you could just do that. Just overpay for mediocre players on one- to two-year one or two-year deals, and you can still go out there and really give an illusion like you're spending money, but in reality, you're actually saving money in the long run, and you're actually still trying to lose games. So just because you increase the luxury tax, it doesn't mean it's going to make teams spend money. It doesn't mean it's going to stop tanking. So I like the fact that they increase the luxury tax. I'm glad that they're trying to do different things and trying to, you know, make sure that you get the most competitive product on the field as you can. But I'm not sure if the luxury tax thing is enough right now but we'll see how it plays out because a lot of these things you have to see how it plays out before you actually give your final opinion so this is more like my preliminary opinion on a lot of these rule changes before we actually see it implemented and take effect another new rule coming a 50 million dollar player pool to reward pre-arbitration players who who excel will also be incorporated so pre-arbitration players who ball out um, they're just getting more money overall. So for those guys who are like studs in pre-arbitration, those guys who are already all-star and MVP level players in pre-arbitration, they will get more money up front. They will not just, you know, have to go through arbitration and look at precedents and who came before them and what salary they got. No, they say, hey, I'm one of the best players in the game right now. And even though it's still pre-arbitration, you got to give me more money than what I'm making as opposed to other players around the league in my position because I'm just that good. So for the players, I'm sure they're happy about that. It's another one of those rule changes that I really don't have a strong opinion on. I really don't have a lot of thoughts on. So I'm sure the players see it as a win. Good for the players. They're getting more money in the end. Anything that involves the players getting more money, I'm like, uh, who cares? These are millionaires becoming richer millionaires. And of course, they're fighting billionaires. But when we're talking about 
that level of tax bracket, I'm like, I don't care. All you guys are good. Like if you guys paid me a million dollars a year, if I got the minimum salary from baseball, which is 700K, I would be a happy guy. So I really never have strong thoughts when it comes to how much people are making. And then the last rule I want to talk about here in segment number one is the 12 team postseason with the two top division winners earning first round buys. I love the expanded postseason. This is what baseball needs. I think this is one of the biggest things that can help the competitive advantage issue we have in baseball because a team like the D-backs now, if you're a near 500 team, if you're on the cusp of the playoffs near the trade deadline, you're probably more likely to go all in if you feel like you have a greater chance. If you feel like there's more bites at the apple, then I think you're just going to try a little bit harder in free agency. Maybe you say now, if I'm a, a team on the cusp, I don't have to go out there and sign the superstar players in free agency, but if I can just work around the edges, around the margins, and just add quality players to my roster, that might be enough to bolt me into the postseason. And then who knows what happens there because baseball is crazy. Once you get to the postseason, anyone can win. And you get some extra postseason revenue as well. So I think teams would be more likely to try and spend money to win with the expanded postseason. And just from a fan's point of view, I like the expanded postseason because it gives me a little hope watching the D-backs. Maybe now we have, you know, more of a chance to make it just because there's an extra spot. And, you know, just just the hope overall, I think, is the biggest thing. Because if you have hope as a fan, you watch in basketball with the, with this new play-in tournament, and all of a sudden, Kings fans think that they can make the postseason. So for a D-backs fan, the season is so long. I look at last season, I'm like, seriously, by the time July rolled around, literally by the time June rolled around, I'm like, I'm going to have to watch three and a half months of meaningless baseball. But if you had a couple extra spots, then maybe... The season is just a little bit more enticing. The season is just so long when you're watching a terrible team those last few months. It just drags and drags. But if you can just keep me on a thread, just string me along just a little bit with this expanded postseason, I think it'll be a win, especially for those teams that are not really that good, but are like, eh, kind of like the basically the whole NL East last season. The Mets, the Phillies, how they're all kind of on the cuffs. All of them kind of were close to making the postseason. All of them kind of had different points of the season where you thought they were going to be the division winner when in the end it was just the Braves. But they all just kind of strung you along. So if in the future we can get more teams that string you along like that with the expanded postseason, I think it just makes baseball more entertaining, increases the fan value want to watch games late in the year, even when your team is not that good. So I approve of the expanded postseason, even though you're going to have pushback. Like, who wants to see a below 90-win team in the postseason? Like, look at the Braves. They won it as, like, what were they, 89, 90 wins. The Royals, a few years ago, went to the World Series as a 90-win team. The Nationals won the World Series as a wildcard team. Once you get to the baseball postseason, anyone can win. So I don't care if you have 85 wins or 105 wins. It probably doesn't matter once the playoffs begin. Now, we'll talk about some more rules that are coming to baseball in 2022 and beyond because there's some fun ones coming up but first i want to talk to you guys about bet online because it's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us from all the latest odds contests and player props betonline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info BetOnline remains the best spot for your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. BetOnline, where the game starts. 
And thanks for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. Lockdown MLB Prospects host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia. He's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast. Let me take a quick sniffle. Hey, we are back and we are good. And let's continue with some more rules we see coming to baseball in 2022 and beyond. And the next rule I want to talk about is a 45-day window to impose rule changes decided on by a new joint committee beginning in 2023. So this is something interesting. I'm not even entirely sure what it is. I don't think it's been entirely flushed out to the public yet, but it seems like there is a joint committee that could that only needs 45 days to impose new rules that would begin in 2023. And some of these new rules that you might, you know, because when you hear this joint committee proposing new rules, like what are you talking about exactly? Well, the rules that we've talked about in the past that I don't think are officially come to baseball just yet. I think this committee has to decide on it, but new rules like banning the shift, the pitch clock and bigger bases will be decided by this new joint committee. So I don't think those three Uh, potential rule changes have been officially voted on and implemented yet for the 2023 season but the banning of the shift is definitely something I want to see I've talked about it ad nauseum with Sully Baseball and other times on this podcast like why do you want to do something that will inhibit more offensive baseball which is the most entertaining part about baseball like we all complain about how we don't see more action on the bases we don't see more singles we don't see more doubles it's all about the three true outcomes well one way to combat the three true outcomes is letting those players that bat 220 250 but they only bat that because they're strictly pull hitters like the joey gallows of the world let those guys pull the ball basically like if you took the shift away i'm sure joey gallo goes from like a 240 hitter to like a 280 hitter because a lot of those guys they can hit the ball they just have a problem of hitting it where they ain't and if all of a sudden those balls are going through the hole then you're gonna have more action on the bases some players will end up getting more money in the end i think that's one reason why players would be pro banning the shift because players like joey gallo will probably have their value increase around the sport and will end up making more money in the end. So if it increases offense, if it increases the entertainment value, and if it increases the players' pockets, I think everyone would be on board for banning the shift. The pitch clock, I think, has to come. And it's not just because of pitchers. It's also because of the batters stepping out the box, uh, stepping out the batter's box repeatedly to fix their groin and all that other mess. So if you have a pitch clock that starts once the catcher catches the ball, I think this could be great for baseball, especially if it's like under 20 seconds, if it's like a shot clock. I don't think you really need a long pitch clock. I don't know how long it takes to go from pitch to bat to back to pitcher. Like that whole process shouldn't take that long. So I think a pitch clock could be nice for the pace of play. Banning the shift could be nice for just entertainment value and seeing more offense on the field. And the the bigger basis point, I really don't know how that affects baseball. Would it be easier to steal? Would it be easier to pick off someone? I don't really know. I need to read more into that. So that one I really don't have a strong opinion on. But banning the shift and the pitch clock are two things I definitely want to see implemented in baseball. And if those two do get implemented, it won't be until 2023. The next thing that is coming to baseball that is a huge deal is the universal DH. We already see this affecting the sport right now because Nelson Cruz is going to be, is already one of the hottest uh, free agents on the market. I didn't know how I wanted to phrase that. 
Nelson Cruz is one of the hottest free agents on the market currently, as he should be. And someone like Seth Beer can all of a sudden step into the role as the everyday DH for the D-backs if they decide to do that because he's someone who hasn't been able to play defense at a very high level throughout his minor league career. But offensively, he's shown a lot at the plate. He's been able to hit for average, hit for power. So guy like Seth Beer all, all of a sudden has increased value in the organization. Guy like Nelson Cruz has increased value across the whole baseball world base basically and if you look at someone like jd martinez like you're telling me every team wouldn't want a jd martinez he can't do anything for you defensively don't ask him to play the field don't ask him to play right field or left field but what he does for you in your lineup at the plate i think that guy is very valued i don't understand why we always had a pitcher i don't even need to get into the whole argument as to how there's just as much strategy pitching around Big Poppy as there is trying to figure out, should I take Bumgarner out with my bases loaded and it's the bottom of the seventh and he's dealing, but I need the offense because I haven't scored yet. Like, yes, that's a strategy too, but also trying to figure out how I'm pitching around Big Poppy is also a strategy. So I don't want to go down that whole rabbit hole, but I'm glad to see the Universal DH come into baseball because I never understood why we had two conferences playing by two different rules like Sully baseball always says if you're gonna have two conferences played by the same rules then let's get rid of conferences and let's just go with divisions but I kind of always push against that because you look at the NFL hockey basketball like they all play by the same rules and they still have two conferences I think you can still keep two conferences in baseball Sully I don't think just because we have the universal DH we have to get rid of conferences like we should have always been playing by the same rules it doesn't make any sense how you can have a sport where half the teams play by one set of rules then half the teams play by another set of rules and then the two teams have to figure it out once they get to the World World Series, which is the biggest stage. And one team might have a disadvantage if it's a team like the Red Sox and have an everyday player like Big Poppy or something like that. So I just never understood why we didn't have a universal DH from the beginning, but I don't have to worry about that anymore. And the last rule I want to talk about in this segment is the additional advertising through patches on jerseys and decals on helmets. This is something I don't have a strong opinion on, but... MLB and the owners were definitely getting this one in because if you look at basketball and soccer, how they have the jersey patches on their jerseys, like the Clippers, they have that little bumble patch. I'm not even sure if they still have that, but I think they have the bumble patch. The Lakers have like crypto.com on their jersey. So just something for MLB to make extra money. So um, whenever you hear MLB owners cry poor, just just remember all the different revenue streams they have. They have all these different networks streaming their games. They're going to be putting decals on jerseys. Like baseball is making money hand over foot. So that's why I'm like, we also need a salary floor and just not increase the luxury tax because there is so much money going into baseball and it just not the, the, the input of money is not reciprocated in the output of money in terms of baseball finances. So I definitely need to see more spending from these owners as there's more money poured into the sport of baseball. Now, I got three more rules that I want to talk about with you guys. But first, I want to talk to you guys about Built Bar because this is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. Have you tried the puffs? They're absolutely delicious. They're chocolatey, but most importantly, they're fluffy and they're marshmallowy. They're absolutely delicious. They're a protein bar like all Built Bars, they're protein bars, but you probably wouldn't know that because when you, when you first try the Built Bar, you think that you're eating a candy bar, but that's kind of the, 
the magicalness of the built bar. You think that you're eating a candy bar when in reality you're actually eating a protein bar, low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, and all built bars covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. If you want your own built bar, just go to built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's discuss the final three rules I want to talk to you guys about today. This next one is a six-team draft lottery. This is the hopes of curtailing tanking in baseball. So the teams with the six worst records in the sport of baseball will be put in a lottery. You see this in basketball. We see this in hockey. But the thing with the lottery is I'm not sure if the lottery actually curtails tanking. Now, follow me here. I think when you look at tanking in sports, I think it's most prevalent in basketball and hockey. How much do you hear about tanking in football? You don't hear it as much. You hear it in baseball. But I think the sport that is most synonymous with tanking is both the NBA and the NHL. And I think that's because, let me give you an example to illustrate this. If a team is on the cusp, of making the postseason, and then let's say they lose their best player halfway through the season. I think there's more motivation for that team to then start losing so they can increase their odds as opposed to if it was a fixed position, I think it would be tougher for that team to make an argument to say, hey, let's start losing games because, yeah, we might lose, we we might try to start losing games right now, but are we really going to be jumping that much up in the draft order? But If you're doing a lottery, then you say, we just got to increase those odds. So if we can go from 10% to 15% chance of getting that number one pick, it's worth the risk as opposed to saying, we're eighth right now. And if we keep losing games, we might be able to move to fifth, but that's not a guarantee. It's more of a guarantee for you to get the number one pick if you increase your odds. So I think there's just extra motivation for teams to try to lose games if there's a lottery as opposed to a fixed position. I just think if you're telling a team, if you lose more games, that increases your odds. I just think that does something to a psyche. I don't know. You could tell me I'm wrong. You could tell me I'm crazy. But I just think it does something to your psyche if you can see how losing directly correlates to your odds of getting the number one pick. I just think that does something to your psyche. I don't know. Sorry if I feel like I'm rambling. I'm definitely rambling a little bit. But just to me... My personal feeling, I just feel like it's harder to tank when it's a fixed position as opposed to just increasing your odds. Maybe one of you guys could tell me I'm wrong on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account if you want to hit me up and tell me I'm wrong. But that's just how I feel. That was probably too big of a ramble. Uh, It was probably incoherent and it probably didn't make a lot of sense, but hopefully you followed me along there. Next rule, a provision that prevents teams from optioning eligible players more than five times within a season. Uh... Uh, honestly, I don't know how many times players normally get optioned during a season. I feel like it's unlimited times uh, sometimes with these young players. So five times during a season, I guess that's good. I guess that's good for the players. I feel like five times is still a lot. I feel like you should have done like two or three times. Like uh, either keep the guy in the minors or promote the guy, whether you think he's ready or not. I, I think like I'm the guy that thinks there should be less minor league systems because I think there's so 
I think there's just too many levels. I know that's probably not a, a popular take, but I already think there's too many levels in minor leagues. It takes too long to see these guys matriculate on their MLB level. The development from these guys take too long. Like, let's just put these guys in the fire, get them to the major league level in one or two years and see if they're ready to perform or not. And if they're not, then that's okay. Maybe baseball is not their sport. I just think we have too many minor leagues in general. So I guess the optioning of, you know, I guess limiting optioning players to just five times within a season, I guess that helps the sport of baseball. I guess that helps the service time manipulation, but I really don't think in the long run it's really going to make that much of a difference. I think overall there should just be less minor leagues in general. I think there's too many players that think they have a shot to make it to the major leagues, and they probably don't. So, yeah, minor league players need to be paid more, but I think it would also help overall if there were just less minor league systems in general because I just don't think we need to have 500 minor league players. Then the last, the last rule that I want to talk about today is Two measures aimed at limiting service time manipulation. A full year of service time awarded to players who finish within the top two in respective Rookie of the Year voting and draft picks awards teams that promote players on opening day who finish among the top vote getters for major awards. So basically, if you do really well, you're either going to get a full year of major league service time if you're a player and if you're a team, if you have a rookie that does really well, then all of a sudden you might get some extra draft pick compensation. So all around, I kind of like that a lot because now players, they're getting their full year of service time. No more where it's like, sometimes you see those, sometimes it's really weird with baseball. Baseball makes no sense with this where basically a player can play for three seasons and still be considered a rookie for three years just because they didn't play enough games. I think once you play, seriously, once you step on a field one year, if that's your first season, then that should be your rookie year. Whether it's one inning, whether it's a thousand inning, whether it's one inning or a thousand innings, I don't really care. Once you step on the field that first year, that should be your rookie season. And then the conversation's over. It's like the Ben Simmons thing. He didn't play his first year, so that didn't count as his rookie year. But once he stepped on the basketball court that second season, that was his rookie year. Julius Randle broke his leg 15 minutes into his NBA rookie season and had to miss the rest of the year. And guess what? The NBA said, I'm sorry, that was a rookie season. We can't make your second year your rookie year because you played 15 minutes that first year. So I think baseball gets convoluted with this whole service time and rookie of the year thing. Like if you played that first year, that, that first year you made to the major leagues, if you played at all, then that's your rookie season. I think that's the easiest way to do this. But at least now teams are incentivized to keep the teams, uh, to keep their players on the major league level if they're playing well. And for young players who are playing well, you're at least going to be awarded with service time so you could get to free agency quicker and things like that. So overall, a lot of these rules and CBA changes, I think, are good for baseball. The luxury tax thing, I think, is kind of a sham. I think it's more of an illusion. I like the fact that it got raised, but overall, I don't know how much it's going to help. I think the expanded postseason and the universal DH are my favorite things coming out from this lockout because I've been hammering the desk for the universal DH for forever now. The draft lottery, I think, is one of those things that's going to be an illusion as well. I really don't think it's going to curtail tanking too much. So we'll see some of these measures, how it affects baseball. Once it actually gets implemented and we see it in action, then we could give a better opinion on some of these new rule changes. But for now, those are my preliminary thoughts and opinions on some of these rule changes coming to baseball in 2022 and beyond. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. No Mondays with Miller today. So hopefully we 
do Wednesdays with Millard this Wednesday with Sully Baseball of Lockdown MLB. And speaking of Sully Baseball, thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. Go make your second listen of the day. Lockdown MLB with Sully Baseball. His podcast is free and available wherever you get your podcasts. As I said at the beginning of the pod, I want to do a free agency pod later in this week. One on the D-backs based off that thread by Zach Buchanan talking to Mike Hazen on priorities for the D-backs post-lockout. And then one on the biggest stars predictions where they're going in the where they're going this MLB free agency post lockout so bunch of free agency talk I want to do later in this week just want to do a primer pod for everyone who wasn't too sure what the new CBA changes were going to be in 2022 and beyond so hopefully it didn't get too convoluted for you guys because I know I kind of went on a ramble there when discussing the draft lottery but thanks for sticking through it with me thanks for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day and I'll catch you guys later in the week Deuces!